Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag EclecticSpacewalk. Find us on Minds.com at EclecticSpacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, EclecticSpacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hello from Zurich, Switzerland, and welcome to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm your host, Nicholas McKay. Today, we're joined by Patricia Hudokash. Patricia is the creator of the Flanus Project and an online repository for interviews, essays, and a digital gallery. She is also a curator and an inter-intellect salon host. Welcome to Conversations, Patricia. Thank you so much, Nicolas. So first off, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Satomare in Romania. It's a city near Ukraine and, uh, and Hungary. Mm-hmm. And it's a small city. Um, and uh, after that, I lived in Cluj, in Berlin, and now I live in Switzerland. Okay. And then, so let's let's go back a little bit to, to early Patricia. So what did she want to be when she grew up? Like, what was her really influences? I think I always wanted to be a writer. I mean, since I was a kid, five, six years old, since I uh, started writing, actually, I, I would just imagine different worlds, and I would just write down different characters, different chapters in a book. I would never finish the books, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that was my, my biggest dream. Well, lots of upstarts. So what, did you really try to emulate any writers? Like, what was your favorite author or book that you can kind of first come to mind? Uh, J.K. Rowling. Oh, really? Yeah. So Harry Potter was a big influence. Exactly. Okay, okay. Well, me too. <laughs> I would say that. Uh, so what, um, other than, say, like some authors, then who were, like, kind of people in your life that uh, maybe influenced your curiosity? Was it, like, a cool uncle or your parents or friends, family, stuff like that? I think most of my influencers were from, from books, so from characters and the books that I read. And I could also say that my dad was an inspiration because he was always very motivated to... Um, to um, to do things, to, to finish projects, to provide for the family. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I have him as a role model. But most of my influences come from, from fiction, I, th- I think, from, from, from the books I read, from, uh, from the characters that I wanted to be. Um, so out of, so Harry Potter, check. But then, like, did you get into other things like fantasy or sci-fi? Like, what were your kind of the genres that you were really pulled towards? I think uh, I liked uh, more sci-fi. Okay. Yeah, because uh, because I I felt this pull towards uh, different worlds, especially time travel. 
Uh, and I actually started a book on time travel. It's called Travel to Edinburgh. It's just an experiment uh, because I like to, to think about time travel quite a lot. Okay. Um, the possibility of different, of different worlds, different timelines, going back in time, going back in, or going t towards the future. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, so like give us some, uh, is, so timelines, like I, mean, I just read uh, Dune for the first time, you know, before the movie came out. Um, I'm reading uh, the Foundation series, you know, so yeah. or, or what are some other, like, I guess, name off some authors or books that really like pulled to you? Like, I really you like the book The Time Machine. So it's a book, classic. I think, yes, <laughs> it's a classic. I think that influenced me a lot. But other than that, uh, I think um, Ursula Le Guin, she oh, also influenced me quite a lot okay. in, in how I wrote. But other than that, I think it's, it's just a, cu a curiosity to know if time travel travel is possible mm -hmm. and how we can how we can do that as you know humankind uh, or if it's just you know fiction or if it's just fantasy after all right right yeah Ursula K. Le Guin is actually one of my favorite authors uh, we we loved the Tales of the Earthsea you know books a series yeah. but then also uh, I just picked up um, uh, Lathe of Heaven I think or, se or Second Hand of Darkness I can't remember but I picked picked them up there in the apartment I still have to read them but uh yeah, she's, she was a big author uh, for, for me as well. But um, so going time travel, that's a very interesting and specific subject. Like, what do you, if you had one time travel to go in the past and then maybe in the future, because everyone wants to go in the future, but would you go like 500 years in the future or 10,000 years in the future or when, or is there a specific time also in the past that you mm. would love to be in or love to experience? I think I would love to go into the past, so okay. not into the future. I think I would like... Um, uh, to go into the La Belle Epoque period of time, uh, so before the World War One. Ah, okay. Um, okay. I would love to to explore that, uh, especially in Europe, uh, with all the you know the beautiful castles and you know the the world of abundance that existed before. Ah. Of course, not for everybody, but sure. it's uh, it's something that um, it's quite intriguing to see. So Is that like decadent culture and like high culture? Exactly. Like a lot of liter literature, etc.? Salons, okay. literature, um, okay. you know, meeting new interesting people. Okay. Basically what we're doing now, but <laughs> in a more decadent way, I guess. That's interesting, yeah, because like coffee shops back in the day, like mm -hmm. that kind of like... Uh, intellectual curiosity between people, et, et cetera. That, that's an interesting time period. Is there like uh, a specific city or just more Europe in general? I think Europe in general, even though I'm thinking about London ah. in particular, okay. about Paris, Vienna as Vienna, well. Vienna, yeah, the Vienna Circle and exactly. everything like that. Okay, okay. So, so, I, so the literary salons, uh, the cities of the literary salons. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's a, obviously still a huge uh, part of our culture nowadays, even like we go back to, to, to those kind of writers, thinkers, etc. So um, I guess then we can, this is a good time, we'll, uh, we can talk about salons and curation series in a minute, but let's, let's go back, um, so take us through your academic journey. You were very interested in, I'm assuming, literature, English, you know, it, it, uh, and then, you know, you went to school. Take us through that kind of journey, like what was that like? Yeah, so I studied um, at the Faculty of Letters in Cluj. I studied German literature okay. uh, and also English and French literature. And uh, after that, I moved to Berlin um, for a master's degree. Uh, there I studied more German literature <laughs> and also English and American literature. And um, I, I, I wrote my dissertation on the Flaneuse. Okay. 
mm-hmm. on the modern and postmodern planeurs. And after that, I, I kind of uh, went away from the academic world and I started working in corporate. So ah, okay. it, it was a major shift and that happened four years ago. And now I'm going back to the academic world and to actually creating, writing. So I had my fair time in the corporate world, but now I want to change. Well, actually to go back uh, to, the, to those times where things were a bit more bohemian in a way. Ah, okay, that's a good word. Yeah, 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 for sure. So let's, let's unpack a little bit. So when you were in, in school and university, um, you, you said German literature, English literature, and French literature. Was there maybe one author or a bunch of authors that you, know, you kind of pulled to more than others? Um, I think in relation to German literature, I, I loved Hermann Hesse. Ah, yeah, Yeah, Uh, with a Steppenwolf. Maybe you uh, heard about that book. So I think that was my pull. But we mostly studied, uh, you know, um, writers from the Sturm und Drang um, period of time in in Germany, like Goethe, for example. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was more like traditional kind of um, authors. Um, And um, as for the American literature, I was really pulled towards postmodern or actually modern authors like Lauren Elkin. Uh, who also wrote a book about the Flanese. So th- oh. she was my inspiration also to, <laughs> okay. to, to write my dissertation on that. Okay. And then uh, Herman Hesse, I'm pretty sure, did he write Siddhartha as well? Yes, oh, okay. exactly. So that, that's what I thought. <laughs> as soon as you said him, I was like, ah, I loved that book because that was a big, uh, I'm not very spiritual anymore. I grew up Southern Baptist uh, in, the, in Tennessee. Um, but now it's like I'm more along the lines of, you know, finding out for what it is for you, a person. And I think Siddhartha, even though it's very Buddhist kind of imagery and, and that kind of thing, the, the main lesson at the end of the riverboat uh, kind of um, guy that's going across the river and you just finding out your own path, et cetera, was very illuminating to me. So it's, it's interesting that you... So uh, Steppenwolf, Hermann Hesse, um, Flanus is in there. Okay, so then why did you kind of hone in on that for your dissertation? Like what kind of drew you to like the Flanus kind of idea, I guess you could say? I think it was more or less a personal hobby of mine. So I, I, I found a lot of freedom in just, you know, walking and exploring new cities. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, to see how, how women walked and explored new cities 100 years ago and also now and how they wrote about that in their books. Uh, what kind of goals they had, what kind of motivations they had behind all that exploration and walking. So I think that was my main motivation. And I also love the topic. I, I really loved exploring it, you know, from Walter Benjamin's um, archives to, um, to um, her own, uh, so Lauren Elkin's personal um, discovery of, 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 of uh, walking in, in Paris, in Tokyo, in London, in the US, and how she compared, for example, the walkability in cities in the US versus the walkability in cities in Europe, mm-hmm. how much freedom she had. Um, so I think that was my main motivation. Main motivation. Okay. So let's maybe, maybe we got ahead of ourselves. So can you just explain like what a flaneur is or a flaneuse just for, so we can yeah. kind of catch the audience up? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a person that, uh, that walks aimlessly in a city. So without the purpose, only to discover the city, only to enjoy it, only to, I mean, for the exploration's sake. Mm. Um, and um, to give you some context, Walter Benjamin uh, uh, wrote in the archives, uh, no, actually in the, in the arcades project, a lot about the flaneur and also how it came to 
into existence, for example, in the 19th century uh, Paris um, and uh, how people would just walk near the shops and just enjoy the city and then uh, there was this shift towards a more consumerist world mm -hmm. and all this walking only for the exploration's sake uh, shifted towards you know consumerism and sure. you know uh, you walk to shop so you always had a goal to do something in the city um, in comparison to you know how it was maybe before when you would just go and you know for the pure aesthetic pleasure of of, of seeing a city um, and that would be any time because that would be say like for lunch or or would that be like weekend walks and so I'm trying to like hone down was this like a maybe one person or was this more of like it just kind of happened and emerged and then someone put a definition on it saying that's that's what a flaneur does to walk aimlessly and because you said Paris was was one of the places that kind of it, it yes Paris hold. and also London I think also Paul wrote in the men of the crowd about the flaneur so it's a short um, uh, story okay. I think I don't know this phenomenon is very interesting because before, I think in the 18th, 19th century, a flaneur was usually a man mm -hmm. and a man of means. So a rich man who would have the time to be mm -hmm. idle. Right, right, and right. Because workers would not have, you know, the time. But that doesn't mean that they were not also flaneurs. They would not also, I don't know, find, uh, I don't know, pleasure and enjoyment in just enjoying, um, in enjoying a city and walking around. Um, Can you be a flaneur in the countryside? Of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just I, think, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think even though I see the Flanora as more like a cosmopolitan figure, mm -hmm. because in a city you have, you know, the hustle and the bustle of a city and you have a lot of novelty and you see a lot of people and you can actually disappear in a crowd. Sure. And that's also, I think, a trait of the Flanora, the fact that you're just disappearing into the crowd and you're one of the crowd. Um, that's interesting. And, and so nowadays it seems like you can, um, like... I. I've always gotten the best advice from people that have traveled a lot to then like almost get lost, you know, and it seems like you, that's kind of along the way of a flaneur is that like, it's okay to not have a specific point A to point B. It's okay to, and you can really experience the city. I mean, I've almost tried to do that in, in my travels in the last couple of years now, and it seems like a very fruitful thing because then you start, you go into uh different shops or go into a corner that you didn't think, you know, you would before or exactly. something. So like, what are some of the, not just aesthetic, but maybe personal things that a person gets from that? Like, is it fulfillment? Is it just adventure? Is it, you know, those kind of things? I think it's the pleasure of novelty. Okay. Um, because you can always see a city with fresh new eyes. Mm. I mean, even now, after living two years in, in, in Switzerland, I and I think I visited Zurich many, many times, I can still, you know, I don't know, find novelty and see something that I haven't seen before. Even a bookstore or a cafe or, I don't know, a sign. I think it's really about the relationship you can have with a city mm. in the sense that a city is more than, you know, just a, a place for, I don't know, consumption and entertainment. You can also discover it from many, many points of view, you know, from a historical perspective, trying to understand the culture, the people. Um, I'm also very interested in the design of cities. And that's also in relation oh, okay. to the flaneur. I mean, some cities have this beautiful walkability. As in Zurich, he also told me that when you arrive here, what a beautiful city it is. And that changed your mood, I think, you know, and also how you perceive the city and also how you right. walked in the city. Um, so I think this is also something, I think that's why I'm so attracted to the flaneur concept, because 
This also means that we, we can explore places for thinking and for walking and make them more beautiful for somebody to enjoy, to discover, mm -hmm. to, um, to be inspired, you know, for the right things or for a conversation um, in building the atmosphere, you know, um, of, um, of a conversation or of, um, or simply just making your day a bit more beautiful. Right. So the design of cities is, is very mm. paramount in this. Okay. So if say, okay, so I, I want to kind of go back to, uh, like you said, the, something you pointed out of the, historically, it was a lot of men of well means. So was there like, a, a um, women, like how, how did women get, get into, like, how did the flanoose come, come about? How was there one woman who loved to do it? Or was it more of an emergence again, a phenomenon that like just so happened that women were now doing the same thing that men were doing? I think, I think women were always flaneurs, but they were seen through the male gaze, to the mm. male perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Charles Baudelaire, a French poet wrote um, um, a poem. Uh, I think it's called Un Passant, so okay. um, a passerby but the female passerby. And the way she, uh, he describes her in that poem is like more or less like a prostitute or a woman of the night. Mm, uh, because okay. women around the time, you know, if you go at that hour or, you know, without a male companion, you would have been perceived as a prostitute, but maybe she was only a flaneuse. So that's actually how I also started my dissertation, you know, with that kind of, um, you know, perspective that uh, the flaneurs also existed, not only the flaneur, because everybody can walk, everybody can enjoy a city, sure. you know, and, and find pleasure. Of course, if you are a worker versus, an, you know, like um, a wealthy person, that would not allow you to have that kind of uh, luxury all the time, but that doesn't mean that you are not also um, a flaneur. So I think it was about the perspective uh, in that sense, uh, because women were flaneurs, but it's it's also who sees them as being flaneurs mm -hmm. or not. It's not in, in a vacuum. It really still, you're in an environment of a city. And, exactly. And the cultural and the baggage, etc. Yes, comes it's that. cultural. It's, uh, for example, in New York, um, in the beginning of the 20th century, there were some parts in the cities where if you would walk as a woman, you would have been perceived as a prostitute mm -hmm. just because there were some areas where you would not walk alone. Um, Especially without a male companion exactly. or with groups or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my point is that the flaneurs always existed also in literature. You know, women were enjoying walking. It, it was not so permissive. And, and even now, um, I think now things have changed. But um, even now in some countries, you know, you would get a lot of harassment as a solo traveler. Um, and sure. uh, as a woman solo traveler. Sure. Or, or, or maybe also as a male in, in some parts of the world. Uh, and I was also curious about that, how that changed, uh, how much freedom we have now as women in a city. Uh, because I also had my fair share of harassment, for example, in Romania as a kid and as mm -hmm. a teenager. And that changed in Berlin. And I felt some kind of freedom in Berlin because I, it's a huge city and I had more freedom as a woman, I think. And I wasn't harassed. Uh, and that also changed in Switzerland because here people are also... Um, I don't know. Um, I find uh, a lot of safety in Switzerland at mm. night. Um, so you don't really feel that pressure of, of the city, not just exactly. like a gazing eyes, but then 
yeah. safety, etc. Exactly. Okay. And also, as you said, uh, there are not so many gazing guys. I mean, here you can just blend into the crowd as just a flaneur. Just Exactly. Yeah, interesting. And that gives us a lot of freedom also to discover and to have a connection with the city and to look at things in a different way. I mean, actually to slow down and, you know, mm. and by that I mean looking at the architecture, looking at the people, trying to ask yourself questions, um, finding places for thinking, because even walking in a city, you know, can influence your thinking heavily, you know, in, you know, can have a huge impact on how you think and, you know, the ideas that you come into your mind uh, just sure. by walking. Sure. And then, but then again, I like how you're saying it, is it to slow down because you could keep, you know, walk around and walk around and walk around, but then never really like ground yourself and then take it in. Like, what what did you just experience? What did you just exactly. like see, uh, et cetera? Um, so maybe we talk a little bit about your dissertation. So the modern and postmodern flanus in literature, specifically. Is there was there a big difference of uh, modern and postmodern, or <laughs> and then and then I guess take us up till, you know now what is what is a i mean we'll get into your your phone news project but like what what how has literature really like changed all of this because it seems like the expectations were maybe happening in different cities but then like literature storytelling you know maybe cemented a little bit of this so i, I don't know you tell me your dissertation i guess <laughs> yeah so i started uh, well basically i had a comparison between the um, early 20th century with a Florentine experiment. Actually, it was late 19th century, early 20th century. A Florentine experiment is a short story uh, written by Catherine Wilson. Mm -hmm. um, and she, she was an American expat living in Florence, and she described her, her wanderings in the city. Mm -hmm. And of course, that means that she was a woman of means, uh, so she was wealthy. Um, and um, I, I had a comparison between, you know, how she wrote about walking, how much freedom she had as a woman in that time versus Lauren Elkins' um, somehow autobiographical writing on the Flanus. Uh, and she's also American and she lived, you know, all over Europe and she's from, yeah. Um, now I think she's based in, in Paris. So I was looking at their writing and how and how they were engaging with Flannery, how 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 they would describe it and why this was so important for them. And most of the time, it was an act of freedom, of of being them, themselves in the city, and also of enjoying life and walking. Purely that. Right. And so, what what do you say? Um, I guess. In term, because like in the past, it, it seems like there was more things like art, uh, maybe food, entertainment, etc. But like you've said before, it doesn't have to be necessarily these big things. It could just be architecture or as what a lot of people nowadays call people watching. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you, can, you can get a lot from just the, the watching the crowds and watching how people interact with each other. Um, so maybe like what is, what is I guess, the... Um, I mean, you said modern and postmodern. What, what do we call today? <laughs> the flanus of today. That's, I mean, I, that's maybe an end to your flanus project. Exactly. Um, so what, you know, let's, let's, let's go into the current times, if you will. Um, what does it mean to be a flanus now? Or a flaneur even, you know, in that way? Or is it even beneficial to then uh, say flaneur or flanus and then we just say we're, you know, 
participating in Flannery? <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's a fascinating question, um, or actually set of questions. If we think about today, I think we do a lot of Flannery, which is cyber, so it's cyber Flannery. Ah, we that's are, a good point. We yeah. are, you know, always online and we are on Twitter or, and we're, you know, strolling uh, on these, uh, you know, vi virtual streets in a way or another. So I think that's, that's the Flaneur or Flaneurs of today, the cyber Flaneur. However, I, I see that people are, are still trying to reclaim the streets and find joy and fulfillment in just walking in a beautiful city. I think we all crave that, you know, having a, a beautiful aesthetical environment mm -hmm. near us. And um, um, maybe the flaneur or flaneuse of, I don't know, 2010 um, was the solo traveler because uh, they would go on, on a lot of solo travels to, mm -hmm. to discover themselves. And of course, the novelty, the, the, the new cities, the, uh, the food, the culture, everything was um, intoxicating in a good way. Like very um, a lot of travel bloggers or exactly. like solo travel. Yes. I mean, that's, that was, I've seen definitely a liberating thing in guys and women as well, like both sides of, of women feeling like they're safe enough and to go to different cities solo, but then also men who are, you know, kind of fed up with corporatocracy and all this stuff exactly. to get away. Um, so that's an interesting dichotomy that, you know, the solo travel travel blogger was, was yeah. very popular for the last 10 years. But then now in 2021, that's probably changed a little bit. Or yeah, with it. the pandemic, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with COVID, it changes everything. Yeah, because we had to, to be actually... Um, tourists in our own towns and to oh, and to find novelty in our own towns. Actually, I did that uh, while I was still working last year in Lucerne here in Switzerland. I would try to walk every day on a new different street. And that's very difficult because, you know, here cities in Switzerland are very small and you don't have like these kind of large cities as in Berlin, for example, or London. Mm -hmm. But still, I could do that. I mean, trying to have a different itinerary, like a journey every mm -hmm. day by walking. Um, so yes, I think the pandemic sh uh, shifted that um, perspective that we always have to go away to find ourselves. I think we can find ourselves even in our own cities. It's just about perspective, how we look upon things, how we try to find novelty in the known um, and in the unknown as well. So, how, so maybe it's for some practical advice for people that maybe, you know, they have been stuck in their city and stuff. What is it simply uh, taking an unknown route? Is it starting somewhere different? Is it maybe doing routes that you are familiar with backwards? Uh, or is it maybe walking instead of biking, biking instead of car? You know, like what are some maybe practical pointers or something that, you know, people can do to just kind of maybe turn that switch a little bit? I think everything you shared is a perfect example. Like just deciding to start your day with a different route to work mm. or trying to, I don't know, uh, find a new cafe that gives you a nice vibe. Um, treating every day as an experiment. I think that's something that I'm very, very into also in my writing and also how I live. Mm. I think it just gives me more excitement. And I think we can do that, you know, if we really have that goal. Um, so it's more of a mindset to start and then how you do it yes. is kind of... It's very dependent. personal. Ah, it's very okay. subjective, I think, because everybody has a different way of you know, um, going through life. So I think my own, um, yeah, my own um, recommendation is to just do something in a different way every day. And if that 
is related to Flannery, then just go also with your vibe, with your gut. Um, like how you feel. With oh, your instinct. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so instead of that path, it's the le path less taken just because you feel like, oh, I might find something interesting or, yeah. or just Stumble forcing upon, yourself yeah. to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do like how you said experimenting because um, we're, we're probably going to stroll around Zurich and experiment in a little short film uh, recording later, but then I, I wanted to bring back to you, you on your website um, for the Full News Project, experimenting, experimenting, experimenting. Uh, that was very interesting to me. Um, but basically, I'll just read this uh, quickly. The Flanus Project is the place where I follow my curiosity, share my writings and questions, curation of visual art and maps with the places I stumble upon on my walks, and currently working on a digital magazine, a collection of slow interviews, and researching material for my upcoming online and offline exhibition. So maybe just give us a rundown of the Flanus Project. Um, seems very, because the first thing that kind of made me uh, reach out to really get this going was those maps that you had shared of like all the walking that you had done in, in different places. So maybe just give a top line kind of overview of what the Flow News Project is for you. Uh, I think it's, it's a bit of everything, honestly, everything that I love. Um, uh, okay. And I started with um, this project because I, I had this, uh, this gut feeling to to enter a, into a gallery. It, it was evening, I was in Berlin, and I just wanted to have a spontaneous interview with the gallery owner. I just felt like it, and she accepted. And she was also, well, she is also Romanian, which was a nice coincidence. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had a nice conversation. And then I, I started it with um, realizing the fact that I love collecting interviews with people in writing. So I said, let's just start this blog. And after that, I started experimenting with poetry, with drawings, with um, different interviews about London, about Paris, you know, with my friends, um, with um, writing essays on the flaneurs. So I think that's why I said experimenting, 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 because, you know, tomorrow I might take it into a whole different direction and just, I don't know, uh, record voice messages and that's actually my my post for the day or, I don't know, uh, film a short video. I think the main the main idea is to just go with my gut feeling and to, to do what feels right in the moment and then looking back to try to connect mm. whatever I did and, you know, call it a project. Love it. So it's, so it's, yeah, I mean, no. that's kind of what we started with Eclectic Spacewalk was, you know, not just essays, but then we wanted to talk to people, but then yep. it's, it's gotten into like short films, but then now we're also looking at, uh, at other, you know, experimental things. Cause then the video, it turned into, well, we could do 360 video and some drones. And so it, like, I, I do like that you, it's kind of an intellectual project for you that brings in a lot of like, um, curiosity if you will, and you're allowing that to happen. So what, what was kind of the, the main, I guess, driver? You, you mentioned the interview that kind of came off the cuff, but like, what, when did you kind of know? Was it after your dissertation or when you created your website? When did you know that like, this is what, you know, you wanted to do? Yeah. I think after my first interview, because I, I realized that I love creating archives online, mm, and I didn't okay. want to have only a collection of essays. I wanted to have a collection of everything and you know, try to connect the dots after they are made, after they are created, as I said before. Sure. Um, 
I'm fascinated by archives also because of Walter Benjamin, the archives project, mm -hmm. where he experimented with different ways of, you know, of co collecting thoughts from writers, from philosophers, from scientists, and put them all in a book, and then making notes on them. So um, I, I, I always had a fascination for archives, and um, I, I treat this website as an online archive of my own. Sometimes, so I'm just. And uploading some kind of old essays I wrote uh, in a PDF format. I think I'm just playing around, honestly, uh, with this, and I'm having fun. So. Well, then that's the, that's the best thing to, and that's the, I guess the driving factor is that if you're having fun, then keep going. <laughs> you know. Uh, so then let's, I guess, um, next it'd be easiest or uh, easiest for the audience to stay up with. Uh, you want to do an upcoming book, a field guide to Flannery. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know how much you can talk about it or want to talk about it, but I thought that this would be a, uh, a good opportunity to kind of talk about. It. And so would this be more of a practical, like how to, because we kind of touched on a little bit of that. It's very kind of subjective, but there may be some guidelines or is it going to be more back to your dissertation with historical stuff or again, like your Flinders project of intellectual curiosity, bringing it all together. So what maybe just talk a little bit about that. I think I will bring everything together. Yeah. So it will be a collection of essays, academic essays, but also interviews, uh, photographs, illustrations, drawings, maps, curated, because I also love curation a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I will just assemble them together and I want to create an experience with the book. Uh, and by that I mean also, you know, a visual experience and mm -hmm. uh, ch choosing the right image and text and having fun with everything I created in the past two or three years on my blog. Um, so this will be also an experiment. Um, but I think it's something that I always wanted to, to do. I don't know if this will be a how-to, because as I said, everybody's very oh. different in mm -hmm. how they want to experience the city. But maybe I will focus, for example, on uh, perception and why perception is very important in, in you know walking and how we experience the city. or. Uh, on um, cyber flannery or on um, mm, the way we interact with the city itself. So I think that might be a how-to, only to pinpoint those, you know, um, themes that are important for me. Right, to get started a little bit. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. But then it's going to be up to the reader to like really like take it and run with it yeah. for their way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And make something out of it on their own, on their own walks. Right. Experiment them themselves. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, so is there a timeline of this? Is this this year, <laughs> next year? It should have been this December, but I postponed it for March. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Well, one thing I would say to you is uh, try to definitely make it some type of digital as well, because even though I love the touch of books and a physical thing, yeah. like... I think that accessibility would be amazing with your, you know, photos and pictures and things like that. And you could kind of have maybe an online scrap, you know, kind of way to, to make it cool. So but <laughs> don't take anything, but, but I, I think that would be cool to, to really in, in, uh, institute in that in the digital form as well, so, somehow. Because I know you, you've been doing that with your online and Twitter and et cetera, but I think like, to have it in maybe one compilation, like you said, a curated thing online would be great. Um, so let's maybe talk about uh, curation in general. Like, what 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 drew you to curation? Like, why why do you like it so much? Like, what what kind of you know gets you going about curation? Is it just like 
assembling disparate things for different people or do you see yourself like as someone that can connect things or is it just more like that just is what gets you going and then that it just happens to be curation i love um visual storytelling a lot and i think for that curation is very important Mm -hmm. you know Um, I love museums and galleries and looking at art and I was always fascinated when I would experience you know um, a gallery um, about how the curator decided I don't know to hang that on the wall that way in that small room with that I don't know uh, color of the wall Mm -hmm. Uh, for me everything was an aesthetic experience how how I would perceive art uh, in different contexts in different rooms for example, um, I was here in, uh, in Zurich uh, at a museum um, and it was um, an exhibition about René Girard's uh, concept of scapegoating okay. and I was absolutely blown away by the experience itself in the gallery, by how the curator chose the objects to, you know, um, to show um, scapegoating from the medieval ages until, you know, modern times. And it was a very, very touching experience, of course. Um, but, you know, as somebody that loves curation, I, would also, I, w- I was also analyzing it. So I was looking at how they display things on the wall, on how narrow the, the rooms were made, um, on uh, their, I don't know, choice of the soundtrack, because I would also mm-hmm. listen to music and mm-hmm. how music influenced my feelings. Well, I know that I left that... Uh, that gallery in tears. <laughs> oh wow! So I so had very moving. exactly like, the entire experience. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. and I think that also influenced my desire to be a curator because it's also about um, being able to put together different different topics and offer an experience mm-hmm. to an audience. So experience. It seems like experience design is almost like your second. I mean, exactly. Curation <laughs> is great, but experience design, like maybe that's another. Uh, um, the only reason why I bring that up is um, specifically in my grad school, we have an immersion project that is about um, this thing called uh, Picturing the Invisible. And it's about, it's, it's right now at the uh, London Royal Sciences exhibition or something, but it's coming to Tomb in uh, Munich um, in March or June or something like that. So maybe we'll have to get you there. But basically it's about the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power uh power plant disaster Mm -hmm. in Japan and it's bringing together um, pictures, photographs, essays, etc. So I'll be able to like do some of the stuff so I might have to rely on you know your experience with this but uh, that's one of the things that we're kind of putting in the moment right now is is that exact thing like where do you put them? Uh, What do you do you have uh, a video in the beginning to frame things? Do you have music? but it seems like it's a very powerful medium to do regardless. And mm-hmm. if you do it one, I mean, you have a lot of leeway though, of, I don't want to say pulling at heartstrings, but kind of, I mean, for, for an experiencer, for someone that's going in there, the person who makes it and designs it has an immense amount of power and responsibility to kind of like show you or push you into emotional states and understanding and curiosities. So it's very interesting that like that's going to be, something that, you know, uh, similar, I guess you could say in in the future. Um, so I guess maybe, can you talk a little, we'll get into inter-intellecting hosting and and stuff like that, but, um, do you want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurship series as well? Because it seems like curation's one side, but then entrepreneurship is also a little bit of, uh, different side. Yeah, different side, but, but it's, 
two sides of the same coin, maybe. You know? um, yeah, this is something personal because next year I want to start a business, and mm -hmm. I said, why not actually have a group, you know, uh, where I mean, a group that I can share my experiences with, and also that group maybe also they would like to embark on an entrepreneurship kind of um, journey uh, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. next year. And that's why I wanted to start that. Um, so it will be more like an accountability group to show up every month and to, to share our um, business experiences so far. For me, it's going to be very interesting and because I, I never done that. Uh, I, I have a lot of projects on my mind mm -hmm. and I will experiment with them, but that's it. I don't have like a clear business goal for now. Right. And I think having um, a group to share that with just makes things more exciting. And you're also not alone. I mean, you can get support and um, yeah. it's building a small community within a community. Right, right, right. Yeah, the networking effects of things can, yeah. can really help in a lot of different ways. Okay. Um, so I guess let's, let's move on to uh, being an inter-intellect host. So, hey, Anna. We love you. Uh, thanks so much for you know basically starting such an interesting um, medium of talking, etc. Like like you said before before the Flaneurs of salons was such a big part of the you know late nineteenth century, early twentieth century before the World War One. Um, so I guess maybe just talk about your experience and how how you got involved. Like how <laughs> what, did you just find interintellect and then maybe. Give a brief overview of interintellect, maybe because I mean you've done many salons, uh, and then we can kind of go into specific salons uh, after. Yeah, um, everything started two years ago uh, as I was leaving Berlin and moving to Switzerland, and um, I knew about Anna from Twitter, and I knew that she was hosting salons at her place in London, and for me that was fascinating—the idea to just open your house, you know, to complete strangers to have a beautiful conversation. Yeah. I was very, very inspired by that. And then COVID you know, came and she had to move everything online. And this is, I think, how you know, there was this boom of virtual salons. So yeah. a salon is a three hours moderated conversation online most of the time, but now they're also gathering um, offline all over the world. And I, at first, I was very shy to host, honestly, especially online, because I'd never done that. And to moderate, you know, um, a deep conversation for three hours on Zoom can be quite, quite um, difficult and maybe also exhausting. Um, so I, I was a bit reluctant to, to host online in the beginning because I wanted, you know, this kind of experience to be at, in somebody's home. Of course, with COVID, I couldn't have right, that right, experience right. in a new country. And then I, I started hosting my first salon. Actually, it was on the topic of flannery, so walking. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that people were so interested in that because I really expected just a few people, you know, coming and talking about the flaneur. But I think around 20 people arrived and we had a three hours conversation about how walking changed our lives. So <laughs> that was something. So a great proof of concept. Exactly. You, a big stamp of approval in your book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And um, after that, I had a salon on talking with strangers. Okay. That was also very interesting. 40 people in a uh, Zoom room talking about talking with strangers with strangers. So it was, <laughs> it was very meta, you know, um, in many ways. Um, sure. And from, from that on, I mean, I just had a lot of fun hosting. I think I hosted around 20 salons so far oh, wow. in one year. 
Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. And well, everything was online. And for me, it was a big, big shift in mindset because I was very shy online. I could barely say a word in a salon where I was the participant. Mm-hmm. And from that, I had to be the host moderating a three hours conversation. So it was very, yeah, it, it was challenging, but so rewarding in so many ways. I mean, experimenting and stepping out of your comfort zone, it seems like this has only been a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, we, we've been wanting to, to host a salon for a little bit, but then it, again, like you said, reluctance of, well, what do we talk about? Like, yeah. are people going to be interested? And I know all these kind of like, I don't know what I want to say, insecurities, but just hesitancies. And then now I think uh, we've kind of got to the point where I'm going to try to host a salon about like, you know, technology and, and not like techno optimism or pessimism, but like realism and then use like the metaverse, you know, as, as kind of like a, a jumping off point because it's, it's very fruitful, you know, now with everything that's happening online, offline. Uh, we actually kind of half hosted a uh, get together in Los Angeles before we left mm. um, of inter intellect, you know, people in real life and went to a bar, uh, you know, brewery and just, again, talked with strangers for, you know, a couple hours. And it was a great experience. So, um, but then even more so is that we're going to maybe try to do a series of uh, my ebook is or tripping or our ebook is called tripping over the truth. So tripping over your own biases about what you think, et cetera, and then all the writing that I've done and maybe putting it into three mini-series, you know, like a little themes and stuff. So very excited about, about <laughs> all of that stuff. But um, I can hear from your voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's been months in the making, you know. I've, I maybe wanted to, I think I've first entered into, like, song that we went to was maybe in the summer, I believe, you know, and then became a member. And because, I mean, we you know, it was economics or technology and, and there's just such a diverse amount Range, of things yeah. that you can get involved in. Uh, Visa, uh, on Twitter, VisaCon, um, you know, been to a couple of his about friends and, and things like that. So it, like you said, range is, is of curiosity is, is almost unbounded. Um, but I guess what I wanted to ask you about is, um, Maybe for someone like me or others that are maybe a little hesitant, like what are some of the things that, is it just going to more salons? Is it kind of just trying to get out of your comfort zone or what kind of coming now? It seems like you were hesitant, but then you've done 20 salons like that. That's quite a jump, you know? So like what, what can maybe uh, we take away from your experience from that? And then maybe, you know, uh, up our own, (laughs) if you will. I think starting is the most important thing. So just hosting your first salons. And after that, I think the dominoes will start falling. (laughs) Um, Because it's, especially if if you crave deep connections and if you love hosting and moderating a conversation and you get fulfillment out of that, it's really addicting. I mean, uh, I, I am a shy person. And for me to host twice a month, you know, with total strangers, you know, not in my mother tongue, it's... It was a bit challenging, but at the same time, it also so, so rewarding. I made so many friends and they're not only connections, you know, it's not only networking. It's, mm. I think, more than that uh, in many ways. I think that's what I love about this community, that you see them after that kind of um, deep, intimate conversation, you see them as friends. Uh, right. You, you kind of almost uh, go 
go past all the pleasantries. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about what we ate. Water cooler talk. Exactly. Yeah. We just dive in philosophy or, I don't know, we talk about Nietzsche after two minutes and then we talk about our personal lives. And I think... My salons are, are a bit different than science salons because we always go very deep into personal things. So mm -hmm. it's more like storytelling. And I think that's why I could build such a deep bond with people because they were very intimate. I mean, these salons and also the conversations. Sure. Um, but I, that doesn't mean that at a science salon you can also not have uh, those human moments inside um, sure. a conversation. It, it's just that you have maybe a bit more knowledge and insight than in just, you know... Um, I don't know, an intimate com um, story about, I don't know, a trauma you had, for example, right. would be different than, you know, sharing things. Do you have a favorite salon that you've hosted? I think all of them are, are very, very dear to my heart, but one in particular was hosted in January mm -hmm. uh, on Enjoying the Unknown. Ah, okay. And I think it's the salon I had the... The, the best feedback from the participants because they reached out after and they told me that they really enjoyed it and they felt very good and safe and you know safe to to share their stories right, on right, the right. unknown um, and I, I will actually host another salon on this topic in I think a couple of days oh yeah okay so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if people will see this before that but okay. I, I don't think so because <laughs> it's going to be on Wednesday already oh okay yeah um, probably not um, yeah. That's interesting. So, what is it? so about the unknown again? Exactly. So, I started in January with the unknown. Uh, I had a full year of unknown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now I'm uh, closing it with more unknown. So, yeah. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and then, so let's let's talk a little bit because uh, you've also started writing a little bit too for the yeah. intellect. So, I want to take one of these. Um, you just did a recent write-up within the last couple of days uh, on the art of conversation. So this podcast is called Conversations, so it fits well, and hopefully we're doing what you <laughs> kind of wrote in this. But I really loved this uh, Horace quote. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'll say it, so bear with me, audience. Um, the aim of the poet is to inform or delight or to combine together in what he says, both pleasure and ap applicability to life. In instructing, be brief in what you say in order that your readers may grasp it quickly and retain it faithfully. Superfluous words simply spill out when the mind is already full. Fiction invented in order to please should remain close to reality. Horace Ars Poetetica. So can you talk about the art of conversation and then maybe a little bit that, about that quote about, you know, not getting too far from reality, not too much fiction because it seems like... Um, good fiction or good things like tug at our reality or our heartstrings, etc. It's never too far away. So maybe just yeah. go into that. Actually, this, this quote um, by Horace is, is what made me want to write this essay. Oh, because yeah. I, I always thought about poetry and conversations as being not necessarily equal, but quite similar. Mm -hmm. Because in a good conversation, you are in a way entertained, but you also get knowledge you also receive a lot of knowledge. Sure. So that's how I, I, I uh, wanted to start my essay. Um, and I also wanted to focus on intimacy, uh, on building human moments. I think this is very important in, in any kind of topic, because we might say that, you know, if we talk about technology or science, we need to be clear and precise. But I think even in those kind of conversations or, you know, lectures, we can build human moments and, and have like a 
intimate relationship somehow with the audience and vice versa. Even in the most abstract, exactly. you can still yeah. come together. Okay, interesting. And then so you mentioned intimacy and immediacy, but then also you mentioned two other things on thinking together. And then one of my favorite um, kind of intellectual heroes, if you will, <laughs> if not influences is Marshall McLuhan uh, and Margaret Thurber, the medium is the message. So maybe talk a little bit about the medium is the message and on thinking together. What, what, how does that play into like uh, the intimacy and immediacy into the art of conversation? Yeah, in, in terms of thinking together, I think we get a lot of abundance and richness when we connect ideas together and when we have conversations. Uh, for example, this is something that I had in my past year attending inter-intellect salons and also mm -hmm. hosting inter-intellect salons. And I realized how much that shifted my thinking and also opened up my, my, my mind and also my eyes in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and as for the medium is the message, here I was thinking more or less about the rituals. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in, in having a good conversation and also a good salon offline, you need to take care of, of small rituals, you know, as in welcoming the guests, having intro rounds, I don't know, offering them cookies and, you know, uh, sure. coffee, wine or tea and being, you know, this kind of um, host in your own home. Mm. And I think that can be also translated virtually. Mm -hmm. so, so you can have that even in a Zoom room if you're welcoming and if you also uh, abide to, to some rituals of welcoming, of having intros. So actually having a script, but only as a backbone for the conversation. And after that, letting everything flow. Right. And uh, also be prepared for a lot of unknown, especially virtually, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. things can happen, you know, like... <laughs> no, that's interesting you say that, because that's one of the things that I've tried to pride myself on, especially, uh, is like, I think people in the biz call it rapport, you know, it's like building rapport. I mean, I, I just met, we just met each other an hour ago, personally, for the first time, but we've had conversations over the last weeks. Uh, I think it was even a month or two originally on Twitter. So that's one of the things I've tried to get in. And the times that I've at least felt the rapport is there and the guest feel the rapport, the conversation is very open. It's very uh, uh, intuitive, very intelligent and stuff. And so it, it seems like that's one of the, the basic things of our humanity. It's like, let me meet you where you are and then we, we're going to talk, etc. So that's interesting that you, you say that that's such a yeah. uh, important part, even virtually. Because, I mean, in COVID times, uh, sometimes you just get on Zoom and you, you click, you know, accept or something, and then that's the end of it. But then exactly. like, you still need to rep build the rapport even online. And it's very easy to be distracted, you know, having, I don't know, 10 tabs open. <laughs> As everyone does. <laughs> While somebody, you know, is, I don't know, sharing their intimate life story. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a very um, good point. Um, wow, that's, that's awesome. Okay. And then so let's... Uh, Let's go into two more things. We'll wrap up here in about 10 minutes. Um, but you mentioned briefly uh, what we were talking about before what, about time travel, um, writing a sci-fi novella. You said you've been writing it for a couple years. So like, t talk us about that, like travel to Edinburgh, because that's, that's a little different than the, uh, the art of conversation or some of these academic um, write-ups or essays. So how, how does that just kind of... Uh, plug into a different curiosity or creativity for you. And then maybe also you mentioned that music specifically helps a lot in the process of world building and character development. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, tie that in as well. 
Yeah, I, I stumbled upon this idea of, of writing a book on, on time travel when I was visiting Edinburgh for the first time. And I was um, staying at this beautiful Airbnb on, um, uh, on a street that resembles a street like in the Harry Potter world. Oh, okay, yeah. And that inspired me a lot. And I was always quite a melancholic uh, <laughs> human being because I was thinking about the past a lot and also about the future and about time, you know, the, the nature of time. Mm -hmm. um, actually, one of my favorite books is Carlo Rovelli's The Order of Time. Ah, I yeah. love that book. And it's very small, too, it's compared very to small. like, because it's very yeah. punchy. It's scientific, but yeah. also he, he also writes about poetry right, and right. about philosophy. So he, he, he's a scientist. Uh, but yeah, but very uh, Italian. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I love that. Um, yeah, so this idea just you know popped into my mind, and I why travel to Edinburgh because I was in Edinburgh. Why travel because somehow I was trying to play with time travel, you know, uh, and you know to have only travel in the title, and then to discover while you're reading the book that it's, it's actually about time traveling mm -hmm. and not only travel as in you know going somewhere like sure. a journey, and then. Um, uh, my grandmother died, so somehow this was switched also into time travel and grief, and mm. how we cope with grief, uh, and how how um, how we would experience time travel or the existence actually of time travel in relation to grief and seeing somebody that's you know that died and going back into time and seeing them again when they're alive exactly oh, wow. twenty years ago uh, and. I think that's when I, I actually stopped writing because it was very complex mm -hmm. to, to see how I can, what I can make out of the grief and how I can connect it beautifully with time travel. But the characters are still there, um, you know, everything that I built, the world that I built is still there. For me it was also an experiment because I love reading um, scientific papers on time travel. So it was just like also a way for me to research time travel right. and to just print all the papers I could get, put them, I mean, in a book uh, with some photos and my writing and drafts. It felt like again building an archive and trying to make something out of it. I haven't finished the novella, uh, but uh, I'm planning on, on doing that in the next years. I don't have a time limit on this. I just want to play with it. So the feel guy for Nuri by March, <laughs> and then we'll see what happens with the time. Exactly. That's interesting you, you said travel to Edinburgh because um, not, not too much of an aside, but the second podcast that we had was uh, Professor Michael Trollby, and he's a philosophy professor, and he just moved uh, after we did our interview last year through COVID to the University of Edinburgh. <laughs> and he actually is specifically on grief, and he just wrote a book. So maybe wow. you should check his book out about grief and stuff, then maybe that might have some through lines of some of that. Um, but I guess I, I don't want to bring up the prototypical like Hitler baby and all that, you know, it's a time travel, uh, but let's, let's ask you, I mean, what do you think about the grandfather paradox? And the grandfather paradox is, it, you know, if you go back in time and then kill your grandfather, are you, do you exist, et cetera? Like, do you have a, I, mean, I don't know, we, we just have a fun kind of experiment. Do you, like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Because you said you've written or you've read a lot of like, scientific papers about specifically the possibility of time travel, but that's always like a, a very uh, interesting example that people use. I think if that happens, we're just building different multiple worlds. Mm. When you go back and you kill him or when you go back and you don't kill him and you still exist. So basically I think that would just just create multiple worlds. So it's more multiverse, like, exactly. like uh, yeah. 
splits of, of paths, if you will. I exactly, okay. and that would create you know endless possibilities, and uh, it's also a very interesting way of looking at life because we know we have one journey and we make some choices but we cannot make all the choices but you know if different worlds would exist with different us then basically we are living all the possibilities all the choices mm. at the same time right and then that goes into like how um, the quantum wave function collapses and how we experience time and reality etc like scientifically at least and the, I think that's the multi uh, what is it called? The, the hypothesis of multi-worlds or multiverse hypothesis that that's basically yeah. what it is. Okay. Yeah, the multiverse. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, I guess before the last question, second to last question, uh, what are you most excited about in the coming years? Maybe this year and five years, obviously, other than your novel. <laughs> or, I mean, your, your field guide. Um, Enter into like salons. Like, what, are, what is, you know... Pulling, I know you might be moving to Romania back yep. again, so like I don't know exactly how much you want to share, but like, what, what is uh, getting you the most excited about the next year and the next five years? I think I'm excited right now about everything, honestly. So That's a good point. <laughs> That's good. Um, but I'm excited mostly about the projects that I will have in Romania. Um, mm. And one of them is actually building a cabin in the woods. In the, in the Carpathians. Okay. That's a five-year project. Okay. Um, and... Um, Inviting people over to have conversations, you know, for, I don't know, 10 days and do that every year. Oh, wow. With the sole purpose of just inviting interest, interesting people that I know, putting them together, you know, for 10 days, having different activities, workshops, conversations, salons, and just for the, you know, pure pleasure of serendipity, of... of of see what happens. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Of seeing what happens if, if we... we live there for 10 days together in the Carpathians, you know, in the Romanian Carpathians, and we think about life and ideas, and we write together. And of course, everything would be a bit like intellectually focused, mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that I always wanted to explore. And why the Romanian Carpathians? Because they are beautiful, and there is this abundance of wildlife there um, and of, of beautiful scenery and people don't know a lot about Romania I mean mostly they know about Dracula castle right. um, <laughs> yeah which is very close to where I will live like 20 kilometers away by the way if you're ever coming to oh, Brasov yeah. next we're, year we're going there let's yeah. go <laughs> we have to see them. yeah so um, if you're visiting in spring then I know where to bring you <laughs> yeah exactly but then again like the Romanian carpet even just in the mountains like that'll be it sounds like Almost like an intellectual adult sleepaway camp, you know, ten, exactly. ten days. Like that's that just to interesting. play an experiment and have workshops and you know oh. to to have conversations as we're having right now, but with I don't know fifteen more people. Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> more, more, more. Um, okay, so that was great. Uh, so last question, and I ask all my guests this. Um, it basically deals with uh, the overview effect. It, it's basically what started this entire kind of intellectual thing for us, eclectic spacewalk and. Uh, for those that don't know, the overview effect is when an astronaut gets up uh, above you know, the atmosphere into outer space and looks back down on the Earth. And it's basically been, I think every single astronaut they've said, uh, I think there's been 560 humans that have gone up, so out of 10 billion people that have ever existed, humans, um, that have been experienced this, and they've had a, a visceral, emotional change. Like they've seen how... Um, you know, the earth is just sitting there in a void and, and how precious is it, it is and how precious life is. And they want to, 
you know, kind of uh, hold on to that and protect it. So I always ask, like, if you had, you know, the opportunity to, you know, get in one of these rockets or go to the moon or whatever, um, and you're looking down, is there some type of message that you would like to say or some type of thing that you would like to convey? Um, and then, yeah, I'll just let you kind of end, end, end this. <laughs> I was actually having goosebumps as you were describing Fair it, just <laughs> because I was really imagining myself being there. Right, right, I think right. I would have like definitely uh, like a life-changing experience in many ways, and I don't know if I would say honestly something because I would be speechless for the most of the time, like for ten minutes at least. <laughs> and after that, I would just you know be in awe of of how beautiful the world is, and also how how unique and precious and rare and um, how lucky we are that we're alive. Well said, well said. <laughs> cool. Well, that wraps, up, uh, wraps us up. Um, thanks for coming on Conversations, Patricia. Really Thank you for this. having me. Yeah. Um, and until next time, at Astra. Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.